This is a Hot Pie Original. Hi, this is Pat Pearson, and you're listening to a podcast called Stop Self-Sabotage, brought to you by Hot Pie Media. And I'm so glad that you're listening. We have an extraordinary man on today, Dr. Jim Logan. Let me read you his very amazing biography. Dr. Jim Logan held numerous positions in a career at NASA, including Chief of Flight Medicine and Chief of Medical Operations at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. He served as mission control surgeon or crew surgeon for many shuttle missions and supervised the development of the first in-flight critical care facility for the space station. Wow. After a year at NASA headquarters, he became the first provost of International Space University in Strasbourg, France. Upon returning to the U.S., he consulted for the RAND Corporation and co-founded the American Telemedicine Association, providing expertise to a variety of professional organizations, international and domestic, hospital-based healthcare systems, and the DOD. Returning to NASA, at Johnson Space Center, he became the Chief of Medical Informatics and Healthcare Systems and the Senior Medical Officer in the Clinical Services Branch of the Space Medicine Division. Dr. Logan left NASA in 2012 to complete a medical fellowship in underseeing hyperbaric medicine at Duke University. Currently, he is CEO and co-founder of the Space Enterprise Institute a nonprofit 501c3 educational foundation. Board certified in aerospace medicine and the recipient of NASA's Distinguished Speakers Award, his lecturing activities have taken him to 14 countries on five continents. An expert in peak human performance, deep space exploration missions, and space colonization, Dr. Logan has been featured on PBS, the History Channel, Natural Geographic, Discovery USA, Canada AM, and numerous radio talk shows. He's frequently quoted in various print and online media. Dr. Logan was the personal physician to the astronauts at NASA, and he's here today to talk about the pandemic, how it affects us physiologically and medically and emotionally, and he's going to lead us through a wonderful discussion on how we can be resilient. Hi, Jim. Good to have you. Pat, it's good to be here. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, I think you've noticed we've had a hell of a year and uh, I just wanted to talk to you. I know you know a lot about pandemics. You know a lot about medicine and we've, uh, we're going to share your bio so people will know who you are, but let's just start with, um, Almost everything has turned upside down. Uh, I've had quite a year, as you know, um, living in a, another country, having having that that whole experience collapse, and having to come back here and rebuild and restart. And you've had a heck of a year, as as personally, not only with COVID, but some illness and close partners. So, how has this affected you so far, twenty twenty? Well. 2020 has really been a lot of things, but one thing it hasn't been is tame. 
You know, the new year <laughs> came out of the starting gate with a reassuring purr and then rapidly transformed before our very eyes into a screaming banshee monster. Now, Pat, you and I know a lot of politicians, industry titans, entrepreneurs, celebrities, so-called influencers tend to pride themselves as being disruptors. Mm -hmm. But I think we can agree that all their combined efforts were dwarfed by the ultimate disruptor, a teeny weeny virus with no political ideology, no opinion, no axe to grind, and no DNA, by the way, demonstrating to the entire planet what real disruption looks like. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. The uh, takeaway is something I had to frequently underscore to my engineering friends at NASA. Everything is ultimately biology. Tell me a little bit more about that. Everything is ultimately biology. What do you mean by that, Jim? Well, think about it. A virus is a completely mindless biological mutation machine whose only goal is reproduction and increasing dissemination at the expense of its host, which translates into disease and death. The immediate result, something no single event like 9-11 could possibly do, complete chaos the world over. Millions of jobs lost, supply chains in shambles, economies and meltdown, medical infrastructures reeling. Uh, our once coveted jet set lifestyle reduced, uh, at least temporarily, to sheltering at home, Netflix, takeout, and endless Zoom meetings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like the next Netflix part. How about you? That's kind of a nice part. All right. So, yeah, we, well, we all know that. And we, you know, one of my friends said something to me that I thought was very insightful. She said, everybody is experiencing their own pandemic. It is not the same experience for everyone. We all have a personal relation to it and a psychological relationship with dealing with this, depending on your situation, your age, your health, your having children at home. Um, I mean, the, the waves, the reverberating waves through the population, through people are just amazing. So could you talk a little bit about the shock value of that? And what does that do to our bodies to be shocked? Well, let me tell you a little bit about my initial response, because my initial response wasn't anxiety or fear. It was a deep-seated, stone-cold dread. Uh, my medical board certification in aerospace medicine is conferred by the American Board of Preventive Medicine. Um so I studied pandemics in detail in graduate school, especially the great pandemic of 1918, yes. which, by the way, was the only year in American history in which the actual population of the country went down because there were so many deaths. Oh, my gosh. More soldiers died of pandemic than from enemy bullets in World War I. Oh. And in part because of my specialty training, uh, I became the NASA pandemic control officer during the H1N1 bird flu scare in the early 2000s. Now, once it became clear to me that this was a novel virus, that is uh, a virus against which humans have no natural immunity, that it was highly contagious, and once person-to-person -person transmission was documented, I knew exactly what was coming and how it would likely play out. Um, and I also knew that the, as a country, we were woefully unprepared. So for me, at least at that moment, 
um, 2020 became the year that changed everything. Sure. I mean, Pat, of course. think about it. One day in March, you wake up and you find your entire life changed. Mm. Your work is disrupted. Your loved ones, all of them, to some degree or another, are certainly at risk and in an imminent potential medical peril. Your movements are restricted. The stores are out of everything from toilet paper to meat. And your home, whatever it may have been before, is now a 24-7 pressure cooker. Yeah. Well, you know, of course. And, um, And in that, there's some emotional upheaval that happens to all of us. You mentioned dread, but dread for you was because of your knowledge base. I think, I think for me was just plain anxiety and fear. Like, what is this going to happen? How is this going to work out or is it going to work out? You know, so how, how would, as a physician, as the man who worked with the, the astronauts on their, on, on their probably anxiety and fear, I mean, how could you be strapped into a rocket, and not have a little concern, you know, is this thing going to go or not? Um, how would you deal with anxiety and fear for the well, normal person? You know, the psychology of this is really important, as as you said. Yeah. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with some exemplary, talented, and gifted people in my career. Other surgeons, scientists, flight controllers, test pilots, astronauts. Yes. People who are commonly referred to as having the right stuff. The right stuff. Um, yeah. What I found is that there are some inherent personality traits or techniques that can be learned or changes in perception and approach that can enhance a person's degree of resilience. Good, good. Resilience is basically the key. Yeah, resilience. The ability to bounce back after a shock, after you've been taken down by something, or, or, or fear, or your own dread, your own anxiety. So let's talk about resilience. What did you find out from the astronauts, working with the astronauts about resilience, or the personality traits, you were saying? Well, we humans... Uh, we don't like insecurity. We can deal with negativity, but we don't like not knowing. We don't like confusion. Yeah, yeah. What humans like to know the score. Mm. We like to get it straight. <laughs> and, and we're not well equipped psychologically or physiologically to handle uncertainty. Uncertainty makes us uneasy, insecure, anxious. Yeah. Decision paralysis sets in and our minds can turn against us. How, you know, it's uh, how so? It's not just a matter of coping. It, it's it's a matter of turning all that adversity and negativity into something positive, and becoming stronger and more resourceful, leading to a more confident, vibrant, and healthier future. Yes, of course, of course. But I think that's what we're struggling with. I think everybody now we've gotten over the initial shock. You know, like whatever that was for everyone. Now we're trying to find the the ways to build our lives back that are strong, that are viable. And, and, you know, most of us understand that fall may not be a great time. I mean, this may come back with a fury, which is the 1918 experience. Correct. Is that? Yes. Yeah. We may be faced with what they call the twin demics, which is uh, the return of COVID and also uh, regular uh, uh, influenza all at once together. It could yes. be a really bad deal. Yeah, yeah. So 
I think the way we start, and certainly where the astronauts, people like the astronauts start, is they master the mind. You know, uh, I heard it. I heard a quote from LeBron James that I thought was really great. And he said, the great master the body, but the greatest master the mind. Wow, nice. We're so focused on strength that we forget the strength of our focus. So say that something Jim, Jim, say that again. I love that. Say that again. We're well, so this actually comes. Yeah. Uh, LeBron James said the great master of the body, but the greatest master of the mind. Right. And he, yeah. and he went on to say, we're so focused on strength that we forget the strength of our focus. Oh, nice. Nice. That yeah. is a really good way to look at it. It really is. So yeah, these things that happen to us, we can either respond to them as a threat or as a challenge. Mm-hmm. If we respond as a threat, it evokes fear, a kind of a siege mentality. Yes. And you react to that physiologically. Yes. And your physiology becomes inefficient. Your decision-making is impaired. What is really interesting is in the long term, viewing difficult episodes as an unmanageable threat brings about physiological changes that are associated with brain aging. Oh. But... When you see things as a challenge, something that you're able to rise to and overcome, the heart becomes more efficient, the blood vessels expand, and you're more effective and, and productive. That's that's a very interesting statement. And l- let me just um, um, sculpt that a little bit from my perspective, and that is that working with people and, and their minds, okay? What I found is that physiologically, you know, fear uh, ang- or an- anxiety, I'm putting those in the same category right now. It's the same physiological response as excitement so that you're, you're up, you're kind of, you know, you could be ah, happy birthday, you know, or you could be ah, rat <laughs> something. I mean, it is the same energetic, you're breathing shallow, you're kind of going up in, in, in your energy and that the only difference truly between anxiety or excitement is prediction of outcome. If I yes. predict predict a negative outcome, I'm going to feel fear or anxiety. If I predict a positive outcome, I'm going to feel excitement. So let me kind of put that, let me put that in, in another way. The the choice is you choose to either be a victim or you choose to be in control. If you're in control, the outcome is likely going to be better. If you're if you choose to be a victim, a victim of, of external events, you become helpless. You you become you you have an inability of controlling your own destiny, mm-hmm. and humans just don't do well with that at all. Yes, yes, yeah. And whether or not, I mean, I you could debate whether or not you can control it, but the um, the idea that you that you have some control is enough to give you the edge, the edge of uh, resilience, survival, turning it to excitement rather than converting it into fear. You know, Mm -hmm. I I tell myself that every time I'm doing a new situation, like when I'm coming, when I came in to start this podcast, you know, my little heart was just beaten away and I was like, "Ah," and I'm going, okay, take a breath, predict a positive outcome. It's going to be fine, you know? 
You know, I, I can do this. I, and my favorite phrase from Susan Jeffers, who wrote a book called Fear, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, great book, was that what we really fear as human beings is that we can't handle it. Whatever yes. it is, the new relationship, the new health regime, trying to find a new career, having your kids at home. Well, maybe you can't handle that. I don't know. That may be real. <laughs> so, but we predict, you know, we, we, um, we get into a mental spiel. And if we're saying we can't handle it, we make ourselves right. There is a need in the human consciousness, I think, to be right. And yes. uh, even if what you're doing is wrong, you want to feel right about it, you know. Well, let's let's talk about fear just a little bit, because fear is an important emotion, but you can't let it run away with you. Right. Uh, I'm a big fan of quotes because I think quotes are like they're like haiku. They, they, they distill an important concept down to a few words. And my favorite quote about fear is from the novel, the science fiction novel, Dune. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to share this quote. Okay. I think it's very powerful. I've used it many times myself. Wow. So I know it works. And so it's fairly short. And the quote is, this is from a character. This is from the chief character in the novel. Right. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer, the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is passed, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Perfect. Perfect. I think that's a great quote to empower somebody. It is. But also give them permission to, to feel fear and let yeah. it pass over them just like a wave. Right, right. Well, and the point of the, the, the book is, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. I mean, if you let fear control you, none of us would ever have learned to drive a car. We never would have learned to swim. We never would have learned to ride a bike. I mean, those are all fearful things for kids, you know? and um, you know, um, swimming is still fearful for me. So it's just like, but I do it. I do it anyway, you know? And so that's really, I think the choice, you know, courage isn't in the act, uh, isn't in staying in fear. It's taking the the step towards your personal freedom. And I love the definition right. of courage. It's, it's from the French, cour for heart. It's about being full of heart. So courage is being full of heart, going for what you want not self-sabotaging. I'm going to stick that in there. <laughs> so how could we, because you know, this program's you know, title, it's about self-sabotage. How could people get out of their own way facing, you know, many more months of this pandemic? What do you think? What should we well, do? You know, people have to be careful to not let their mind basically run away with them. So they've got to focus and going back to astronauts, that's what they're really good at. There are two constructive ways to approach any challenge. There's a problem-focused coping and an emotion-focused coping. And as you know, Pat, they're equally um, uh, uh, important. Yes. The problem-oriented coping involves following guidelines, checklists, procedures, in short, taking control by action. 
But yes. emotion-focused coping involves taking action to reduce your stress or to prevent it, Yes, which helps boost your immune system and increases your uh, uh, effectiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you have to remember where we came from. In the beginning, we were frail, vulnerable, and afraid. We were surrounded by predators with vastly superior physical capabilities, and we learned to rely on two strengths, our intelligence and each other. So part of the courage, I think, that you were talking about is the courage to connect with others, mm-hmm. because that's where a lot of our power, our shared power, comes from. Absolutely. Wow. Well said. Which brings me to my next point, and that is that um, if indeed um, you, I are going, we're all going to go through these next several months, how do we create our tribe? Because we can't do it alone. Okay. I don't want to stay in my little house in, in Palm Desert, California by myself and ride out this pandemic. I want to have my tribe. Now I want I would really prefer those people to be healthy and, you know, not, not put me at risk, but so functional. Yes. And then how do we do that? How do we, how do we create a tribe of, of connected individuals to help us through these coming months? Well, let me put that in kind of aerospace parlance. What you're really talking about is who is going to be your crew. Yes. Because your crew is, is who you're going to ride this thing out with. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, the crew needs to be capable uh, and the crew needs to work together. You know, an interesting story. You'll love this, Pat. Um, <laughs> in China, after they shut down Wuhan and and they really enforced it. I mean, the Chinese government enforced the uh, medical lockdown. Yes. But last March, this past March, when things started to ease up and life started emerging, Okay, from the places that people locked down, the first thing that happened was a massive increase in the application for divorces. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow, well, not and sure so, if I like so that. You, but... have to, you have to get right with your crew. Yeah, you know, your crew is everything. Mm-hmm. And as a friend of mine once told me, you got to keep your children busy, or or they'll keep you busy. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Glad I don't have that, the one going on, but, um, okay. So you've got to have a healthy tribe and a healthy crew, as you were saying. So how do you, um, um, assess that? I mean, are you asking people to take COVID tests before they come over? Are you, what do you do? Do you hug your friends that you haven't seen in a long time or should you keep your distance? I mean, there are legitimate questions here. Well, I think what you do with your intimate crew, the, the, the crew that you're, that you're basically hunkering down with is, first of all, you all have to agree on what is the goal. And the goal is to make it through this tough time with the least amount of stress, the right. least amount of drama, the least amount of, of hassle. Yes. So everybody has to, has to contribute. And you kind of learn to celebrate your differences. You all don't have to be um, the same. You don't have to have similar strengths. Where one person is weak, maybe another person is is strong. That's how we select crews at, at NASA, is, um, is to basically select them so the whole crew is greater than the sum total of the uh, parts. Yes, yes. You're going for, the, the in psychology, the word is gestalt which means whole. You're going for the whole pulling together 
All right. So for my crew, I need to find someone who will clean and cook. <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> so I could eat and have a clean yeah. environment. I'm teasing. Yeah. I'm teasing. Um, okay. So um, back to NASA stress. One of the things um, that I've always enjoyed uh, when you're talking is about how the astronauts manage stress, that there was a adaptation process. Tell me about that. And then what happens when, you know, they get to and we, This is a part of human nature, actually. And even animals exhibit this same quality. It, animals are, and humans are adaptation uh, machines. So as you increase the stress level, animals will slowly adapt to the, to the stress level. And as you increase the stress, they adapt even more. Right. But when the stress gets too high, they don't fail along the same slope. They fail catastrophically. Yes. Um, early in my career, we were doing work on um, air-to-air, uh, simulated air-to-air combat maneuvers. And so a fighter pilot has to fly the plane, has to shoot the enemy down and to keep from getting shot down all the time while he's moving around the, the sky. If you throw stressors in there and things that are going wrong, eventually the pilot will just give up and just fail uh, catastrophically. So you have to manage your, your stress level and keep it from getting to that, to that point. Um, one of the, one of the, um, um, problem focused, um, coping mechanisms is to, for instance, follow checklists. And so I've been a big checklist person and our astronauts are checklist people too. Uh, can I tell you a quick story? Sure. About John we, Young? Well, yeah, and, of and course. Uh, who? This was, this was, I learned a lot from these guys. Now keep in mind, I was a brand new flight surgeon. And, and we were able to qualify in the backseat of the T-38. So one of the first flights that I took was to ride with John Young. The T-38 is a two-seater supersonic jet fighter, trainer. Um, and so we were at altitude. Yeah. And um, John was talking about, you know, what it was like to, to fly the shuttle. And I said, uh, well, John, uh, that must have been your, your most challenging landing. And he said, no. I said, well, really, what, what was that? And he said, my first night carrier landing on an aircraft carrier oh. at night. Oh. And I said, oh, well, then the shuttle must have been uh, your second one. John said, no, my second <laughs> night carrier landing. So one of the things that really impressed me was John Young had, he stopped counting his hours in a T-38 at 8,000 hours. And oh yet gosh. when we were getting ready to initiate our descent profile, John whipped out his checklist and flipped it up there between the visor and the canopy and started reading off out loud the checklist. Sure. And he would say, you know, such and such and such, check. Number two, such and such, check. And I mentioned to him how impressed I was that he was doing that. Yes, yes. And I, wish, I wish I could get doctors to do that. And so John said, well, doc, uh, I went to college with you pre-med guys, and I know if you make, if you get nine out of 10 right on a test, you get an A. But if I have 10 things on my checklist and the thing I forget to do is lower the landing gear, I don't get an A. <laughs> exactly. My goodness. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. That shows you the, so, the importance yeah. of, of uh, yeah, of course. So let me go back to the stress thing, because I find this fascinating. 
you stressed and, and we're all, we were all stressed, you know, even in March before this hit. Okay. We all had whatever stress that was for ourselves. And then you get an additional stress and you adapt most of it. And then you get additional. And at some point in time, you have too many of these challenges on your system. And I love what you say. You, then you fail catastrophically. It is a quick, rapid, painful descent. And I think in, you know, we're doing mental health, uh, hot pie media and myself with stop self-sabotage. We're trying to help people understand that they're not bad or wrong if they're experiencing excessive stress-related problems, anxiety, depression, um, confusion, thinking, you know, uh, challenges in their relationships. So given all this, what are some, you know, pull out your pad, give me a prescription for some stress releases. What should I do? The first thing you'd have to do, I think, is to give yourself breaks, uh, momentary breaks, even if it's just a few minutes. Yes. Uh, you, you need some, you need some me time. And the reason you need that is to settle yourself down. Otherwise, you're going to keep going to that point where you're going to fail catastrophically. Right. So everybody needs a little bit of um, um, alone time where they can be just by themselves. They also have to learn, I think, how to take minute uh, vacations. They need to be able to focus down. I I know when I was an intern, um, I lived from one sleep cycle to the next. (laughs) Uh, and so my whole life became trying to survive and trying to keep people from dying on my watch mm. until until the next time I was able to go to sleep. Uh, and so time gets contracted um, down to the point where you can't look at the long term. You have to look at the short term. Uh, like these first responders, you have to get to the end of the day. Yes. And then the next day, you have to do the same thing. Right. It's a it's a mental game. Life is a, is a mental game. Mm-hmm. And so you have to approach it uh, that way. The other thing I think you need to do is you need to get outside. Um, you know, Scott Kelly, the NASA astronaut that spent almost a year right. in space, he said that's the thing he learned the most was the magic of getting outside because he couldn't get outside. Exactly. The whole year. I was going to say, he, he didn't take a walk in, in outer space. So, I mean, there's no getting outside. So that's what he yeah, missed the no, most. That's right. So you need to get outside and you need to, to, uh, to just walk. Uh, and that's valuable because exercise is valuable. You know, I, I tell my patients, life is motion. Keep moving. It doesn't matter whether you're walking, you have a cane, you're on crutches, or you're in a wheelchair. You've got to keep moving. Right. It's just healthy for you to do that. The other thing, and I, and I know you already know this, Pat, but you've got to learn how to communicate with your fellow crew members. In, in a non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. You know, after a simulation or after a mission at NASA, we have a complete and total debrief where we bring up all the problems, we bring up all the questions and try to do an autopsy on all of them to try to figure out what happened. Yeah. Not to assign blame, but to learn from the process. Learn from the process, yeah. yeah. And, and so I recommend that every family do a debrief at least once a week 
where everybody gets together and in a non-judgmental format, it's not a blaming session. Right. It's a learning session and a communication session. Yes. Yes. You'd be surprised how valuable that ends up being. You know, I think so, because what, what it does to your stress analogy is it brings down whatever resentments, frustrations you're holding, you release them and then they then they they dissipate you know but the the yeah. containment of those over time is what in families make people explode and you know they have all kinds of reasons why they don't talk about them but ultimately it comes down to they either don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or they don't want to get you know in a big argument with someone so That's right it's it, you know if you could i mean how great would it be person to person to say hey I love you. And, you know, I got an MI, a little minor irritation, and I need to share that with you. So sit down, let me tell you, and, you know, we'll hug and kiss afterwards. But, I mean, how great would that be? You know, it's just a good thing to do. I don't know how many people do that. I really don't. I don't think I do I talked to very well. a crew member who spent uh, over six months in space, and I asked him what's the most important thing he learned. And his answer really kind of surprised me. He said, the most important thing I learned was the importance of being kind, being gentle, being uh, watchful yes. of your other crew members, and to try to make life easier for them. He said, the most magic thing that I, would, that I could do was to go up to another crew member, especially if they look like they were stressed, and say generally, hey, what can I do for you today? You know? Tell me what's the best thing that I can that I can mm. do. Mm. Really, uh, it really changed the whole chemistry of the of the entire crew. Of course, it uh, did. Yeah, to be that attuned. And you know, there's one other thing that I have to mention too, that's important, and that is a matter of personal perspective. Look, we all live life through our own two eyes, right? Yes. I mean, we go through life and we experience it. We have emotions depending on what happens to us. But most people are also able to look down on the situation with kind of a third eye, right? And so that eye takes a higher perspective, and it kind of looks down on the situation. And it's not really all that judgmental. It just is a cosmic observer. And so a friend of mine once told me that that the best thing you can do is to is to quote, watch the watcher. In other words, if you're feeling stressed, stop looking at the, at the situation through your own eyes and try to rise above and look at the situation from a higher perspective through your own third eye. Interesting. And you might get a lot of insight uh, from, from doing that. And it's also rather calming because if it's non-judgmental, you can say to yourself, oh, look at that. I'm kind of getting spun up. You know, maybe yeah. that's not a very good idea. So maybe I need to to take uh, make some decisions to kind of uh, to kind of minimize the energy and kind of spin myself down. Yes, I think that's very helpful, especially with couples and especially in families. Of course, of course. Well, Buddhist philosophy talks about detachment, you know, and being detached from from the emotional reality of the situation. And that doesn't mean don't feel it, but that means, like you said, rise above, 
take a moment of, of looking on the situation. And I love non-judgmental. Wonderful idea, hard to live many times. Yes. But uh, yeah, you, being kind. You have, to, you have to use the feelings that you have as insight, not as a weapon. That's the difference. Nice. Insight, not as a weapon. The feelings you have. And, there, and the insight is not only about the person, but about yourself. Because yes. they don't make you feel that. You make yourself feel that. That's a tough one to get. And when I'm working with people in therapy, you know, they want to say, my wife did this. My husband made me my kid. But the truth is they don't have that power. You make yourself feel that. And once you understand that, the locus of the emotional reaction, then you got a choice. How am I going to play it? Well, and you may not have any power over what happens to you, but you have total power over the way that you respond to it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the things I've found is I've gotten, let's say, mature, um, <laughs> euphemism for older, is that if we use humor, it's a great leveler. You know, it's a great way to disperse some of these emotional charges that are going on, you know? And um, so you, you just get a little bit ironic about the whole thing. Astronauts do that all the time. Do a they? lot of those people, men and women, they're the funniest people I've ever met. Really? But only, only at choice moments. Only yeah. at choice moments. It, that's that's an interesting. I would never have thought that. I would think they were deadly oh, yeah. serious. Deadly serious. Yeah. Okay, so the right stuff is. I mean, we know the we know the show. We know Apollo thirteen. Did you like that movie? Did you think it was a good movie? Oh, it was great, and it it accurately described the whole astronaut and flight controller culture. Good. Okay. Um, so what is the right stuff that we can extract from that? Resilience, all the things we've been saying, be kind. I love that. Um, give me, give me a summation, Dr. Logan. What do you think? What's well, your prescription? Look, there are two ways to approach things as we talked about before. It's either a process or in one process-oriented coping or an emotion-oriented coping. It, it takes both. And initially, you have to evolve a kind of uh, adventurousness in problem-solving. Huh. That's what separates the astronauts from everyone else. They yeah. love to solve problems. You want to make them happy? Give them a problem to solve. Now, there are a lot of people that if you give them problems, they're just overwhelmed. But the yeah. astronauts have have a, a unique, innate ability to basically positively approach a uh, problem. And then beyond that, it's a testament to their training. You know, people are not born with the right stuff. The, the right stuff is made. Yes, you have to bring a certain skill set to the table, but otherwise it's a, it's a result of your training and a result of your um, uh, experience. Yes. So, that's the really, that's the important thing to, uh, to remember. Good. Yeah. The other thing, as you mentioned, is you have to be kind. You have to treat your crew members. You have to select your crew. You have to treat them with, um, respect that you have to honor them. Um, you have to, to always be careful, just like John Young and his checklist. Uh, you know, space is an environment that's always trying to kill you. So you have to be each like decision. A mall. 
has <laughs> identification. Yeah, like Do a what? mall, going to a shopping mall. <laughs> Same yeah. thing. It's always trying to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, last words. Got anything? And, yeah. and you have to not, and you have to not sabotage yourself. So there let's you let's get back to the thing. You know, have you ever heard what the astronaut's prayer is? No. Have I ever told you what that is? No. Okay. So, and this is for real. You know, here these guys are, and they train for five years for a mission. And finally, the day comes to launch, and they're with their crew, and they're on the vehicle, they're on the launch pad, and they realize that they're sitting on top of a fully fueled vehicle, that if it explodes, it's the equivalent of a one megaton bomb, and it was all made by the lowest bidder. (laughs) Astronauts really don't fear failure. Uh, Well, they, they don't fear death. They fear failure. So the astronaut's prayer is right as the countdown is approaching zero, the astronaut's prayer is, dear Lord, don't let me screw up. <laughs> Only yeah. they don't use that word. They use another <laughs> word. Okay. I think, let's see. Let's think about what that word could be. Okay. I get it. All right. All right. Dr. Jim Logan, absolutely wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. Any parting words? That's it. I enjoyed being here. Good. Thank you very much. You you have been wonderful. Thank you, Jim. This production comes to you through Hot Pie Media, and I'm so happy to be your host. See you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.